Latvia Weekly with Otto Tabuns and Joe Horgan. Love the NVCM and a very, very happy St. Patrick's Day for all of you celebrating out there, all of you Irish throughout the world and non-Irish who are also celebrating St. Patrick's Day, which is perfectly okay too. Um, and a very warm welcome to our 20th episode of the Latvia Weekly Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joe Horgan, and seated across from me is my wonderful co-host, Otto Tabuns. How are you today, Otto? Oh, hello, everyone. I also congratulate you all with St. Patrick's Day, and I am also one of the non-Irish people who are celebrating this, and not only because I'm waiting for my Irish coffee after this episode. Which, of course, there are many different ways to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, but uh, but that is one of my favorite ways to, to celebrate it. Um, and also, a very warm congratulations to all of the teachers, students, proctors, everybody who took part in the 12th grade English exam this year. Uh, so every March, the 12th grade students of Latvia, most of them, take the uh, English exam. Which is a little bit strange because you'd think, like, well, why not take the exa- all the exams at the end of the year? The other centralized exams happen in uh, in May and, and a little bit in June as well. Um, but they made a decision a few years back to have the English exams in March instead, so to kind of kind of spread them out so that they weren't slammed with all the exams right at the end of the year. So uh, right now is the end of the March quote unquote break. So the students had a break, the teachers not really so much. Um, and they decided that the 12th graders would do the exam then. And I've prepared probably hundreds of students at this point for it. Uh, the written part of the exam is more or less like any other exam that you might take, uh, you know, SAT, Cambridge exam, a- anything like that, where there's a reading, writing, listening, and, and of course, a kind of use of language slash grammar section. Now, the thing that differs from all these different types of exams is how the speaking part works. And the way it works here, at least for the last few years, is that you go into the room and you pick one of six question cards and one of six monologue cards. And this one of six question cards, it a- the teacher is going to ask you, you don't see what the questions are, but the teacher asks you basically five questions about some topic, you know, shopping, you know, um, healthy lifestyles, something very, you know, obvious that you, you would have covered in your textbooks, not, you know, um, what do you think of the president of Venezuela's foreign policy, not not nothing like that. Okay, so you answer those five questions, and then you have a little text that you have to read. You have two minutes to read it, and you um, then have to speak for three to five minutes about this topic. Okay, so some little blurb about you know, for example, AI or uh, you know something about students not reading as much anymore. For example, mine was shopping. Now, Otto, uh, was it a painful experience? Were you able to do it? Was because um, how did how did the exam go for you? Well, uh, it went very well. Uh, I spoke on the first day, uh, as it went on for two days, and I was one of the first on the list. Uh, but of course, it was a little bit of a surprise. I was expecting some such topic as uh, environmental protection or otherwise. But I I did well. And the thing is, you never know what the topic is going to be ahead of time unless somebody cheats. And we had a horrible example of this this year. There was one teacher in a school that hasn't been named, um, but apparently what they did, so so the way it works is that about 30 minutes before the exam begins, the speaking part of the exam, 
the different teachers and, and the graders are in the principal's office. They get the envelope with the tasks in them. They open them up and then they go to the room where the exam takes place. Now, apparently what one of the teachers did was she took a picture of the exam material and then posted it somewhere online. Okay, so she basically or he leaked the material and the thing about this, so my perspective about this, I'm just going to be very brief about this. I don't see what the point is of even trying this because out of all of the exams that you can cheat on, you know, the math exam, the physics exam, you know, th there's concrete answers which you can just write in. With the speaking exam, even if you know what the topics are, even if you know what the questions are, okay, there's six different possibilities for each part and maximum you have, if you're the last person to go, you have maximum an hour and a half. To prepare and if you can memorize something for all basically 12 of those possible things that you pick up then you probably don't need to cheat in the first place so that was my reaction just how silly it is besides the fact that it's just a terrible example for the students I of course hope that there are serious consequences for this teacher I do not think this teacher should continue teaching because although I do support my my fellow teachers all throughout the country that is just a terrible terrible example to set for the students um, wh wh what do you have to say about this auto well I could see probably two motivations why the teachers would do such a thing well, one thing that's where this uh, uh, cheating might be beneficial would be exactly not perhaps for the students with the lower levels, but rather than with the intermediate and upper level of language knowledge, because they would be able like to look up a vocabulary and um, think of specific points of conversation that are typically used in one or another situation. Uh, and that is important for them when they apply for university and it is uh, decided which of them gets uh, the state scholarship uh, and uh, that is a matter of this percentage. Another point is of course the exam results and the effect that it uh, makes uh, upon uh, some schools, uh, specifically the state gymnasiums where the uh, status of state gymnasium or uh, the top level uh, grammar school depends on the results of centralized exams and if you have the status for your school also so the teachers receive bigger salaries and there are currently four schools that are on the border of losing this status and then also for the teachers to lose 10% of their salary. And just to clarify very quickly, if you're unfamiliar with some of the school lingo from the area, a gymnasium is kind of a more prestigious public school, something like what we'd call in America or, or Great Britain, like a, like a grammar school or a magnet school. Uh, so it is not a sports-based school, it is just a very prestigious public school where the teachers do get, uh, like Otto said, 10% higher salary, but there are more requirements. There, there are certain um, indicators that need to be met, and there's also the responsibility of hosting more seminars, conferences, those kinds of things. But speaking of teacher salaries, so you might have heard that there is a picket, uh, that, which is organized on the 20th of March, that's this Wednesday, and uh, as we've mentioned in previous weeks, there has been this ongoing issue of teacher salaries that has gone all the way back to the financial crisis. Now, some of you who were listening last week, you asked us for a little bit of clarification on what exactly the numbers are. And uh, just, just to let you know, so back in December 2008, this is kind of the peak right before the crisis hit very badly. So of course the crisis had already been ongoing, but this is when it really started hitting people's salaries. So in the public sector, the average salary, okay, so this is the average for the public sector was 917 euros a month. Of course, back then we didn't use euros yet. We used lots, but it was already pegged to the euro. So so the, um, so this is a conversion right now. And the private sector salaries were 661 euros a month on average. Okay, and this is of course before taxes. After taxes, it was quite a bit less. 
Teacher salaries back then were around 490 euros a month. So that is the minimum salary for a full load, which is 21 contact lessons a week. Then by February 2010, which was the low point after the crisis, the average salary for the public sector had dropped to uh, 620 euros a month. For the private sector, 590 euros a month. So the gap had closed. There's only a 30 euro gap between the private and the public sector. Not long before that, in 2009, teacher salaries had dropped to 244 euros and 74 cents for the minimum for a full load. That was my daughter Esther crying in the background. She did not like those figures, and nobody in Latvia really liked those figures. Uh, so now, the most recent numbers, and these are, by the way, from the Central Statistics Bureau. So this is from this is government information. Okay, so you know, take that as you will. If you're more conspiratorial, then that's just the best information we have. Uh, uh, but uh, that is the official uh, data, and you can uh, readily find the same information in all the public databases because it's uh, public money. Exactly, um, but the most recent numbers from those uh, from the Central Statistics Bureau is from December 2019, and now the average salary for the public sector is up to 1,141 euros a month. For the private sector, it is 1,048 euros a month. But still, as of September 1st, and and there was a big fight over this. There was a big fight over whether this would even happen or not. Uh, the minimum teacher salary was increased to 710 euros a month. And again, uh, as we've discussed before many, many times, the previous government under Maris Kuczynski's prime minister, they had agreed with the Latvian Teachers Union to a gradual increase of teacher salaries uh, up until it would reach 900 euros in uh, 2022. But the current government that just came in, they said, well, you know, sorry, but the previous government, they didn't actually earmark any money for this. They didn't actually create a way that the, the that this uh, teacher salary increase could actually be realized. So there's another stalemate here. This is nothing new for teachers, and and that is why this uh, picket will be happening uh, next week. And and there's also a possible strike that could even happen during May. And there's even talk that it could happen during uh, when when the exams, the the other centralized exams, could happen, which would uh, be uh, not not good for for really anybody. So uh, Otto, do you do you have any comments about this issue? Uh, yes, uh, this issue uh, won't be solved uh, before uh, dealing with the optimization of uh, school premises because currently we have uh, many schools where a number of places are not filled by students. Uh, for example, in Yalgava, there are eight thousand students, but still there are places for a thousand more which is not uh, filled and uh, one will have to reconsider the school network uh, unify some schools perhaps close some down and and that is the way forward to stop paying expenses of heating and infrastructure and rather have this money used in a more efficient way and also for the teachers salaries And of course, school optimization involves closing schools. This is a very painful issue. You know, n nobody's going to end up happy out of this. But but it, but it is something that happened also in my home state of Maine many years ago, and and it is something that's just going to have to happen. Uh, and it, it's been painful here in Yelgava. It's been painful in other places. But hopefully, at the very least, this will raise uh, lead to a raise in, in teacher salaries at the end of the day. And just one more quick clarification I wanted to make. Last week, Otto and I talked about how a byproduct of this issue is the lack of people who want to become teachers. And we talked about how there was a shortage of teachers throughout the country at the beginning of the year, as there have been in years previous. And I have the numbers here in front of me. So this was according to the Independent Education Society, who is a research uh, association that, that did some research on this issue. And this was published in Nea Kriga Rita 
Avise, which is uh, independent morning newspaper, one of the top newspapers in the country. This was back on the 11th of September 2018, so this was after the school year already began. And 65% of the principals who were uh, asked by this poll said that their schools lacked some kind of teacher. Uh, most common was physics teachers, also preschool teachers, teaching assistants, math teachers, chemistry teachers. And this wasn't just in Riga or outside of Riga. So 24% of the schools surveyed were uh, in Riga, 18% around Riga, and then 58% in uh, other cities throughout the country or other regions. So this is a serious issue because I don't have this number in front of me. I don't know exactly what the average age of the Latvian teacher is, but you can walk into any school in the country and you're not going to find tons and tons of young teachers. And there's nothing wrong with older teachers. A lot of the best teachers are older teachers. But the problem is that they're not going to be around for a whole lot longer. A lot of teachers are going to be retiring the next 10, 20 years. And who's going to be replacing them? It's, it's a big problem. So if we want to increase the prestige of the teaching profession, we do need to increase the salary as well. So I think that we have covered everything there is to cover about education for now. It is time to move on to one of the major stories which we've been covering for the last few weeks. So unless you have been living under a rock or do not have access to the news or have not been here in Latvia, you have probably heard that things are not going so well at Riga Satiksme, which is the capital city's public transit firm. Now, uh, there have been some major developments this week, and, and Otto, I was wondering if you would like to get into those. Oh yeah, it is always fun and a half with Riga Satiksme in the recent weeks. Uh, the first of uh, them being the implications of uh, Riga Satiksme audit, uh, which has uh, shown quite a number of points that would motivate some people move perhaps not to Brussels, but even further than that. Uh, one of them uh, being the allegation that uh, Riga Satiksme has chosen the uh, providers of the transport vehicles even before the competition. Also, the issue that a person who has served on uh, Riga Satiksme uh, has also served uh, at the company that provided the uh, ticketing systems and therefore uh, benefited uh, from the Public Transit Authority. Uh, this was uh, Mr. Brandovs, uh, who was uh, arrested by the Corruption Office, uh, but uh, he paid uh, the bail and he was also permitted uh, to leave the country for uh, a couple of days and will have to return back. Um, because uh, th there are uh, allegations that uh, it has been uh, a breach of the conflict of interest regulations of him being at the both positions. Uh, another very important point is the credit implications. As uh, on the one hand, the creditors are okay for now or what, what the board of Riga Satiksme has uh, presented and uh, will not claim back the money they have lent to the public transit authority. So that is very good news, because if that would happen, that wouldn't be very nice. Uh, but uh, what is the bigger worry is that in future, the uh, Riga Satiksmas capacity to get any loans will be severely harmed by these scandals and allegations, and their credit rating will probably go down the drain. Uh, so let's enjoy all the things that we have now, and probably in the near future, uh, it won't be possible to uh, do quite a few of the plans that they had, including new tramway lines or uh, some other uh, innovations for the benefit of citizens of Riga. If you weren't following a couple of months ago, one of the major casualties of this was a very ambitious plan. Now, if you're familiar with uh, Arlena Riga or um, some of the buildings in the Skanste region, so, so this is just to the northeast of the city center. So this was a major 
priority region for development in Riga, uh, a lot of kind of the major construction that's been going on in, in the business sector and the economic sector has been happening in that region. And they wanted to build this tram line uh, kind of right through it that, that goes also goes to the center. So that was kind of one of the major, I don't know, like icing on top projects for the last few years that Riga South Committee was planning. And that got basically cut because the European Union was going to fund a significant portion of that. They basically looked and said, no, we're not going to fund anything for the near future until Riga Sadiq's mate can get a handle on what's going on here. They pulled out that funding that stopped and and, and that's having a real effect on the city now. Already, we, we talked about last week, Andres Matis, who was brought in uh, to kind of um, temporarily head the, the company and, and try to make some, some of the changes that needed to be made. He left just after really a few weeks on the job because he just looked at this as just an intractable problem and, and that uh, city government wasn't serious about actually wanting to make these these changes that were necessary. So uh, not not a positive... I mean, there, there's really... I don't know, Otto. <laughs> has there been any positive news from Riga Sadiq's May in the last wow. couple, couple of weeks, weeks that I'm not thinking of? Well, the positive thing is that we still have the vehicles, that we uh, still have the company afloat. And uh, the creditors won't uh, ask for their money back, so at least we'll keep the status quo. But the future development of the company uh, is under a great question mark. And it's a real shame because public transportation, at least in my opinion, is such a great thing in terms of uh, having a sustainable society, in terms of having a, you know, a, a um, an environmentally friendly society. But there is one very good piece of news that came out this week, and that is that a major uh, solar farm is going to be built in Salispils, which is just right outside of um, right outside of Riga. That is to Riga's uh, kind of east or southeast. Now, this is a fitting place to have such a major uh, renewable energy project because Salispils, for those of you who have been there, this is right on the bank of the Daugava where the Riga hydroelectric station was built. Now, of course, you know, by our modern standards, hydroelectric stations are not the best for the environment because, of course, there's such major damage to the environment around it. One of the major hydroelectric stations that was built in the 20th century in Latvia destroyed one of the most important kind of um, geographic monuments in, in Latvian uh, folklore and, and also in Latvian culture, Stabarogs. This was when the Plavinius um, hydroelectric station was built. But still, at the end of the day, it is more or less clean. You know, there's there's no emissions from, from hydroelectric. Uh, obviously, solar energy is a is a step above that, and so uh, apparently there will be 1,720 solar collectors, uh, which will make a significant amount of uh, renewable energy for Riga. And this is a um, a 7.2 million euro uh, plant. So um, that's I, I see that as a positive thing. And that will cement the position of Latvia as a European leader in renewable energy, as around 80% of Latvian electricity comes from renewable sources. And one less kind of clear, good or bad news when it comes to renewable energy. So uh, a lot was made in the last election cycle about OEK, which is Latvia's... um, obligatory purchase component and basically in in layman's terms what that is was a a certain part of everyone's electrical bill went to helping to subsidize different green energy sources now there was major corruption in the implementation of this program because uh, a lot of you know places which really didn't make 
obviously renewable energy were still getting paid for and and there was an issue where also gas that was coming from Russia was getting was getting the um, was getting the subsidy as well so there's all kinds of different concerns with this and uh, one of the major pl platforms of a lot of different parties was that this would be eliminated and a lot of parties were kind of competing for how quickly could we eliminate this this part and and for a lot of people you know the, the idea was well now our energy is going to get cheaper and uh, you know it, it's just definitely not a popular item in, in Latvian politics. Now, uh, it came out this week that once the OEK is um, is eliminated, and this came from Ralph Nimiro, who uh, is the economics minister from KPVLV, his party was probably the most aggressive against the OEK um, program. Now, the only problem is that in 15 different locations throughout Latvia, heating prices could increase by uh, 10 to 40 percent. And that includes in some major cities uh, such, such as Yelgava um, and, and, and also uh, Daugapils, Resigne. Okay, so so the heating bills could grow as a as a side effect of of eliminating this this OEK um, because it's also used to subsidize heat as well. So I don't know if I, I don't see this as enough to get public support behind not canceling OEK. W what do you think, Otto? Do you think that this is going to make a major difference in the mind of the public? Um, in the mind of the public, uh, it will certainly uh, stay as a um, big issue uh, because uh, at least uh, for my electricity bill, 20% uh, of it uh, goes towards the uh, mandatory uh, component uh, regarding uh, the renewable sources. A big issue is uh, for those municipalities where the producers of uh, electricity also produce heating as a byproduct of this uh, process, uh, the so-called cogeneration. Uh, and um, in uh, these kinds of uh, companies, the electricity part uh, is subsidized by this uh, OIK. And as a result, the heating part, which is not subsidized, can be sold uh, for a lower price because the uh, costs to the uh, production are uh, lower uh, in general. But uh, now we will see the situation uh, where the good companies that didn't abuse the system and were acting according to the law will suffer because uh, they will uh, have to keep up paying the loans that they took and uh, between all of the companies that uh, receive uh, this uh, OIK uh, subsidy uh, they have uh, 200 million euros in loans so they will stop receiving the subsidy but they will still have to repay it uh, the electricity price will become cheaper but the heating price especially where it comes as a byproduct of electricity production will go up as a matter of uh, free market uh, and taking out the subsidy part of it and I just wanted to also comment that uh, there was this kind of advisory vote by Saima to eliminate it within three months. And that was just completely impossible because, as Otto mentioned, a lot of companies had already you know, taken out loans uh, based on this. And, and if they had actually canceled it in the three months, there would have been massive lawsuits. And so if, if you're wondering why that didn't happen, you know, that, that was one of those campaign promises that just doesn't, uh, doesn't work, to, just, just was impossible to realize. So, so that's what happened there. Um, another story which, which popped up this week, so uh, Vladimir Antonov, who was a co-owner of Latvia's Krybanka, or Latvia's savings bank, and also uh, Lithuania's uh, Snorlas Bank, was sentenced to two and a half years in a Russian prison. Uh, he misappropriated two million euros um, from the Russian uh, Sovetsky Bank, and in Lithuania, he's estimated to have caused 500 million euros worth of economic damage, uh, you know, before this bank was suspended in 2011. 
Now, um, Antonov and his uh, his uh, accomplice uh, Raimondas uh, Baranauskas, I, b- I believe, is the correct. Yeah. Otto's nodding, so so that's good. Um, he, they're going to be tried in absentia for their crimes because Russia refuses legal assistance to Lithuania. Now, Otto, would you like to comment on that? Why why the situation has There's arisen between, between Russia and Lithuania? Lithuania. Uh, well, uh, the question on legal assistance or the goodwill between the two countries is, of course, uh, related to uh, the different positions of two countries uh, in regard to such issues as uh, Ukraine, where, of course, uh, Russia has the position that we know and the uh, aggression that it committed, whereas Lithuania is one of the uh, strongest supporters of uh, Ukrainian independence and their uh, struggle against Russia. Uh, also, there is the issue of uh, gas trade and uh, the fight that Lithuania has organized from the European side against uh, the monopoly of Gazprom and the uh, politically um, the d- uh, designated uh, gas prices. So that there has been bad blood between the two countries for a while. Uh, also, one of the points that might be uh, the reason for this bad blood is that uh, quite a, a few accounts uh, in these banks have been connected with the uh, capital sourced in Russia, and uh, well, there have been allegations that um, some uh, oligarchs or representatives of um, uh, Russian business and political circles have used the European Union financial system, especially in the Baltic states, to launder their money. So it wouldn't be in the interests uh, of Russia and uh, the elite and their friends uh, to uh, shed more light uh, on uh, one of the ways how they uh, make their money legal. So anyway, uh, we, we will keep an eye if there's any developments on, on that story, but but that looks like uh, it's probably going to be a cold case for at least a while, because even if he is tried and, and found guilty in Lithuania, there's probably not that much that they can really do without having him be there. I think we should get into some rapid fire. What do you think? Yes, let's go. Okay, so uh, one story which popped up briefly, and uh, I just want to comment on this because we have a local connection to this, both Otto and I, is that there was a fire in uh, Enpe Yelgava's uh, business park, which is on the former territory of Rof, which is uh, Riga Autobus Factory. Now, uh, for those of you who have come to Yelgava before, basically, if you're driving in from Riga and if you're driving in through Ozolnieki, this is right uh, after you get uh, between the forest, between uh, Ozolnieki and, and Yelgava's border, and you're driving through. So, so Roth was over kind of to the left and, and there still is a major business park there. Now, Otto, can, can you explain a little bit about uh, what happened with Roth and the history behind that? So although the name uh, RAF stands for uh, the Riga Automobile Factory, and it originally was a factory in Riga, uh, there was a decision in the 1970s to build the uh, new buildings of the factory uh, outside of Riga, and uh, Yalgo was uh, the choice because of the railway connection and uh, closeness to Riga. And uh, the main business of the Riga Automobile Factory was to produce the light buses. Uh, among them, one of the best known is the light bus uh, Latvia, uh, which was also used for um, export purposes and used to uh, transport the Olympians who came to uh, Moscow Olympic Games in 1980s. And uh, with the the building of this uh, new factory in Yalgava, they also uh, developed uh, this uh, quarter uh, around it uh, on the other side of uh, Lielope River and uh, built a stadium and uh, a new network of streets and uh, a number of uh, migrants, mainly from uh, Belarus, came uh, to Latvia to work as uh, specialists in these factories. Also for them, they built uh, 
uh, a number of schools and uh, other uh, infrastructure. However, when the Soviet Union collapsed, we could uh, see uh, the effect of how this example of Soviet uh, industry harmed uh, Yalgova because it went down as uh, if we look at uh, the basic um, elements that you can get out of the ground in Latvia or the, the minerals or metals that we have or have not, uh, we can understand why practically all of the materials to build such cars had to be imported from either Russia or um, uh, other countries and it wasn't possible to, to make those cars using the resources that we had in Latvia. And uh, when uh, the Soviet Union collapsed, it wasn't possible to keep this production up and in uh, the free market uh, the uh, company uh, fall uh, creating unemployment and making uh, some of the people uh, leave Yalgava as a reason. However, still the brand is uh, strongly associated with Yalgava and there have been quite a few calls of uh, trying to keep up the brand and uh, actually have it uh, reinstated and uh, start again the uh, car building process in Yalgava. But anyway, th this, this area now is used for uh, different business purposes. There's a business park there. Apparently nobody was injured in this fire, but there were, uh, I, from what I've read, 30 fire who were who were called to the to the scene in a few different fire trucks so I haven't heard anything since since the story originally broke a couple of days ago so I so I assume that they were successful and, and put out the fire um, but but anyway uh, so, so so good for them a uh, couple other stories I wanted to get to real quick now one that popped up this week which might sound a bit shocking to people from more Western European countries is that the minimum hunting age here in Latvia was lowered to 16. And uh, this is shocking also to a lot of people living here in Latvia who, um, now, now Otto will comment on this in, in just a second. I just wanted to mention though, before, before Otto comments about the Latvian side. So me as a American, okay, and specifically somebody from the state of Maine, which is a very small rural state in the Northeast where almost all of my family are hunters. I'm not, I'm not a fan of hunting personally. And um, I, I, I don't I don't really like anything about it. But but my my family, uh, quite a few of them are big hunters. Now, for those of you who are interested in the law there, so so I got this from the Department of Wildlife and Inland Fisheries. Children 16 and under must have a junior hunting license. Okay, there is no minimum age to purchase a junior hunting license. Hunters from 10 to 15 years of age must be in the presence of and under the effective control of an adult supervisor. Okay, so at least there has to be an adult there. And hunters under the age of 10 must be in the presence of or under the effective control of an adult supervisor who remains at all time within 20 feet of the hunter. So so Esther A and I could go out in Maine, technically, and, and legally hunt. Now, nobody's crazy enough to do that, but but there are... She's eligible. Yeah, but, but but there are kids who get their first firearm when they're when they're six years old for their for their birthday or, or for Christmas. Now, now Otto, um, so, so that's my perspective. So when I see, like, it's lowered to 16, it's kind of like, okay, whatever. Um, what, what's the more Latvian perspective on this, Otto? Well, uh, for us, it's almost completely different as uh, we have no Second Amendment to the Latvian Constitution and the uh, gun rights and gun culture is uh, completely different from uh, what you would have in the United States. Uh, as uh, very few people uh, actually own guns and uh, people uh, outside of circles such as the army, uh, police or security wouldn't have any experience with uh, dealing with uh, any guns. So uh, this is quite uh, unusual in Latvia and also it garnered criticism from the state audit office and uh, other public officials in asking to uh, reconsider the soundness of this proposal 
because on the one hand you could understand the uh, hunter's lobby because uh, uh, the earlier you start to hunt the uh, the, the more the probability that the hobby would stick and uh, that would be a great way how to attract more people to uh, this endeavor but that is uh, certainly uh, the, the context in Latvia is more different than in the United States and there are of course worries that that might increase the risk of gun violence or accidents connected with this. So of course there are legitimate concerns because in America we do have gun accidents of course we do have gun violence um, but but still you know for, from from my perspective just growing up in Maine I, I I don't know most of my family members turned out pretty okay you know we weren't all shooting each other all the time with our guns by mistake um, but of course accidents do happen and it only takes one time so so anyway uh, hopefully if you are out hunting whether you're 16 or 36 or 76 then you know of course be be careful and and here in Latvia it's actually quite strict you do have to take different courses before you can get your gun before you can get your license um, which is not the case everywhere in America definitely another Quick rapid-fire story. So, uh, according to Jakob Strelme, Knob needs an additional 1.5 million. So, so this is uh, we we mentioned them earlier. This is the state's uh, anti-corruption bureau. Okay, so they need another million and a half euros to fulfill the, their uh, their duties. Otto, do you think that they will be given this money, or will they be left out to dry? Well, hopefully they will, because with all the activities and uh, that they had to do, uh, with all the banks and Riga uh, Satiksma, all the arrests, all, all the investigations, uh, that's probably a legitimate claim, and hopefully it will be given to them to deal with the serious issue of corruption. And it's quite possible that some of those workers at Knob might have been working overtime, you know, with all this activity. And uh, the last rapid-fire story we have to get to is that a SIMA committee has approved possible changes to the overtime law, which now it has to be voted on by SIMA. Okay, so this isn't a done deal yet, but uh, th- this would make uh, the the overtime wages that the people work, if they're working overtime, 50% higher than the normal rate. Uh, now, now, Otto and I were looking into this. Currently, it is 100% higher. Okay, so so what's the idea behind this? Why lower it? Uh, why lo- lower these overtime wages? Because it, it looks like that there's some pretty broad support for, for these measures including from unions as well why what why why are people supporting this auto uh, probably uh, this is uh, to alleviate uh, the serious situation that some of the employers are having due to the decreasing workforce supply and the decreasing unemployment, which means that it is difficult to get uh, the necessary amount of workers and uh, the employers have to increase uh, the base salaries. Uh, so th- that would uh, mean that for some of them it might be impossible to pay uh, the uh, specified uh, overtime rate, uh, which is uh, currently in the law. So so this might help actually the uh, attracting of uh, foreign uh, investors and foreign uh, employers and also help uh, the local businesses as well. Now, Otto, I don't like saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. This was one of the slower news weeks from my perspective that we've had here in Latvia that we've covered over the last couple of months. But there were some major, major stories internationally, which uh, I think you will want to jump right into right now. So so what do you what do you have to start with? Well, uh, let's start, of course, with our favorite subject, uh, Brexit, as a small update on uh, the situation, which will have consequences not only for Great Britain, but also for Latvia. The latest score so far is that uh, despite the agreed changes between uh, Prime Minister May and the President of the Commission Juncker, uh, the uh, British members of the Parliament voted down the amended Brexit deal that seemed to pave the way to a no-deal of uh, Brexit. 
However, then uh, Westminster voted down exit without a deal and also rejected holding another referendum. In consequence, they supported a motion to ask the European Union for an extension to the process of Great Britain leaving the EU. And uh, currently it will be the decision from the European Union side. There has to be an agreement from all member states whether that will happen. And uh, as we speak, uh, the Latvian Foreign Minister Edgar Sienkiewicz is in London for an official visit to meet his uh, British counterparts and to uh, deal with uh, Brexit and other important issues uh, between the Latvian and uh, British uh, governments. And uh, he has stated that he will call for the Latvian government to support the extension should Downing Street uh, make a substantive request. Now, Otto, um, I have a quick question for you, and I'm going to give my perspective first. So my question is, do you think that giving Britain an extension is going to solve anything? Because here's my perspective as a teacher, okay? It doesn't matter if I give my students, if there's a major project, it doesn't matter if I give them two weeks, two months, they're going to be doing it the last minute, and they're probably going to be asking for more time anyway. So is this going to make a significant difference? What's going to be different? They've had two years and, and, and they haven't been able to come up with a deal. If it's a couple extra months, if it's a couple extra weeks, what what uh, do you think that there's going to be something different this time? Um, if not anything else, that might give extra time for the governments of Great Britain and the European Union member states to do extra preparation uh, for when uh, a no-deal Brexit happens automatically, uh, so that the ports are ready, the, the planes are not downed, and uh, the, the businesses do not go bankrupt, or let's say hospitals do not run out of like medicine, or British supermarkets run out of food, which most of them they do import. So hopefully, even if they do not find a, a new agreement because the European Union has said that it won't give a third chance uh, to, to change this agreement uh, that might at least give us more time to prepare and make uh, the British exit uh, as unpainful as possible let's put it like this now Otto I, I see here in the docket you have another story about uh, the Lithuanian Force Brothers so would you like to go into that yeah uh, it is a very important uh, decision uh, from the European Court of Justice in regard to uh, some of the uh, most difficult uh, times of uh, Baltic history is that uh, the European Court has recognized that the Soviet repressions against the Lithuanian Forest Brothers, which were the national partisans that fought against the Soviet occupation, that this the uh, actions of the Soviet Union uh, were uh, genocide. And uh, that is very important for Latvia as well, as we also have the national partisan movement, and that could be a uh, precedent in recognizing that uh, the national partisans weren't as they were labeled uh, bandits or criminals, but uh, they were fighting for the legitimate cause of uh, independent democratic countries. And uh, that was the uh, nature of uh, what uh, they did. And uh, this is a story that would also resonate with most people in Latvia, also with myself, as I also had uh, relatives in Latgale, my great uncle, who was also a national partisan himself, and he was injured in his fight against the Soviet occupation, and his mother, my great-grandmother, uh, who was deported for her support to the partisans, because the name of Forest Brothers comes from the specific circumstance where the partisans were hiding in the forests, and people from the villages and the country side supported them like with food or like medicine or whatever uh, and uh, in that way uh, the partisans uh, fought all the way from 1940 up until uh, 1956 uh, giving up resistance 
to both of the uh, occupations. And uh, that also gives you an indication that uh, apparently quite a few people who labeled themselves liberators did not exactly act like them. And uh, I'm very glad that uh, the Western European uh, part of our continent also uh, recognizes uh, our understanding of the terrible situation that we were in uh, in the middle of the last century. So another international story which popped up this week, I saw that a timetable for Rail Baltica, which is the planned rail project to connect uh, Helsinki, or at the very least Tallinn, all the way to Warsaw with the rest of uh, Western Europe's uh, uh, rail system. So apparently a timetable has already been published. So so you can already plan your next trip to, to Warsaw or to, to Tallinn. Now, now, Otto, why do we have a train schedule without even having train track built yet in many places? Uh, probably that was part of the original business plan because uh, to be able to deduce where you have to have one track as in parts of Riga or two tracks on the line you have to also plan uh, how many trains will go there and how uh, that will best serve both uh, the um, passengers and cargoes and also the profitability of the project so that's why uh, they have it clear so that they could explain why they need uh, the exact amount of money and where it will go so uh, although we do not have like specific um, times when in the morning or in the evening it will uh, happen we already have a general idea for how long it will take between different cities and uh, some other ideas such as for example uh, the idea to have uh, a night train in some parts of the route for example towards uh, Berlin or uh, towards uh, the southern Europe and as our resident security expert I'm sure you want to mention the last story about uh, NATO and the defense target so what do we have there Otto to finish up international oh yeah I'm happy to shout it from the mountaintops that Latvia among uh, other six countries out of the 29 NATO member states are uh, the ones that uh, are fulfilling or topping uh, the uh, NATO defense spending guideline of 2% and in case of Latvia we reached it already by the end of the last year and uh, Latvia together with Lithuania in the last four years had had uh, the uh, biggest increase of defense spending in the world now getting in line with our uh, allies and showing the solidarity that we are not only defense receivers but also contributors to our partners. So Otto I think it is time to play everybody's favorite mid-2000s cheesy game show. It is time for Deal or No Deal. So Otto Deal or no deal? An increase to teacher salaries based on the former government's timetable. No deal. Okay then, deal or no deal? The extradition of Mr. Antonovs from Russia to Lithuania. No deal. Okay, deal or no deal? Adopting my home state of Maine's requirements for young hunters and eliminating the hunting age altogether. No deal. And I just want to make clear that I was not serious about that last one. There is no actual proposal for that to happen. And we'll probably never be in here in Latvia. Uh, finally, deal or no deal, on a much more serious note, an extension to the Brexit timetable. Deal. Okay, so we will check in on those uh, and, and see how those are end up next week. Now, Otto, it has been a long time 
since we've had an autocorrect segment. So for our longtime listeners, we used to have a segment called autocorrect where auto would do some fact checking uh, about some statement made in a news source or maybe some politician made. It has been a long time since we've had an autocorrect, but we have a very important issue to talk about this week. So those of you who were out and about or who, who listened to foreign media about Latvia have probably heard that we have a Legionnaire's Day here. Now, it is reported oftentimes by foreign media, either um, media that has a certain agenda or might not be quite so informed about the issue, that this is a Nazi Remembrance Day or it is a Nazi celebration. Now, Otto, I'm sure you would like to autocorrect those sentiments. Uh, exactly, because if you read what uh, has been uh, decided uh, at the uh, proceedings of the Nuremberg Tribunal and uh, by different government commissions such as from the United States, uh, the legionnaires uh, were the Latvian men uh, who were in violation of international law and under the threat of capital punishment uh, conscripted uh, in the uh, Nazi uh, Germany's uh, army uh, for uh, fighting the Soviet Union. And uh, on March 16, uh, the two divisions of Latvian Legion uh, fought together uh, against uh, the Soviet Union by uh, River Volkhova. And uh, the legionnaires were Latvian men that were drafted by Nazi Germany, violating international law during the occupation and under the threat of capital punishment to those who refused uh, to fight uh, the Soviet Union at the Eastern Front. And although some, uh, such as uh, the Russian government, accuses the legionnaires of being Nazi accomplices, uh, the Nuremberg Tribunal found the Latvian legion innocent of uh, war crimes and ended up employing them uh, to guard the Nazi war criminals. And uh, the March 16 is remembered uh, as a day uh, when the two divisions fought together and commemoration takes place at a less than, less than a uh, soldier cemetery. Uh, but in general, we in that you remember all of its soldiers on November the 11th. Now, there's one more autocorrect which we should probably mention. Uh, for those of you who followed the last election, so Vienotiba, or the Unity Party, it changed its name to Yauno Vienotiba, so New Unity, a little bit before that election to kind of give itself a kind of like a, a refreshing, right? And and you could argue that it worked because they went from, you know, almost looking like they weren't even going to be included in parliament whatsoever to not only getting the 5% they needed, but also taking the prime ministership and, and two of the major ministries. Now, uh, for those of you who are voting in the European election, you might look and notice that there's a party called Jana Saskinja. And Saskinja, that is the largest party in parliament. It has been for just about the entire decade. That is the party of Mayor Niels Ushakovs from, from Riga. Now, Otto, is this Jana Saskinja the same as old Saskinja, or is there a bit of a difference here? Well, when I saw the headline that Jaunas Saskanya presents its uh, candidate list for the European Parliament, I had the impression that perhaps the Saskanya or the Harmony Party has changed their name uh, in similar fashion as uh, the Unity did. But uh, then when I looked it up and we discussed it, it turns out that uh, this has no connection to the Saskanya or the Harmony Party, but rather than a new name for the party Par Alternative or for Alternative. And for those of you who don't recognize that name, uh, that's because it was one of the fringier parties in the uh, Latvian election. That was one of the many parties that got less than 1% of the vote, and that is run by Juris uh, Zhurilovs. Now, of course, 
Obviously, Saskina is not very happy about this because they have major designs on the European election, uh, especially Mr. Niels Ushakovs, who is currently leaving city politics, or at least trying to, and uh, trying to get a seat in Brussels. So they have already appealed this. They are already uh, suing uh, Yana Saskina. Um, but but I, I liked very much that Juris Zhurlovs, uh, who is the uh, head of this new party, he said for this, uh, and, and I'm translating this from Latvian, but... Um, Time is up for the old Saskinia. So, so apparently he thinks that uh, whatever I don't know, um, you know that that, that he's uh, taking on the the meaning of that old brand. So, um, so that that will be interesting to see uh, who becomes victorious there. Now, actually, get them some votes of uninformed people who actually uh, do not uh, check as we did what actually they stand for and what they are. Absolutely. So any of you Saskinia voters out there, if you want to continue voting for Saskinia, uh, be careful what you're voting for, because, uh, you know, what you see, it might not be what you get. So, uh, so, so, so just be careful of that. And now it is time for our sports section. So first of all, we have a major apology we would like to make to Mr. Marcin Dukors, who uh, we didn't mention last week the Friday before we recorded, became the Skeleton World Champion uh, for the sixth time in his career, which is just absolutely uh, stunning. So, uh, so a huge congratulations to Mr. Uh, Martin Dukors, first of all, right off the bat, because we forgot to mention that last week. Uh, another thing I would like to mention, so TTT Riga, which is Riga's women's basketball team, they made it to the finals of the European Women's Basketball League Championship with an impressive 80-70 to win over Zabini in the Czech Republic, so in their second largest city of uh, Autodiprinces, right, uh, Bruno? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, thank you. So they overcame a nine-point deficit at halftime and scored six points in the final minute of the game alone to make it to the finals. And, and this uh, world championship is happening in Russia right now, so we wish you the best of luck, uh, TTT Riga. Uh, the Latvian national football team, so they will not be in the next World Cup, but they do have a new coach. Slo- uh, so this is uh, Slavisha Stojanovic, I think is uh, the correct pronunciation. He uh, was actually coach of the football club Riga, which plays in Skonto, um, Skonto Stadium. He was their coach for one season in 2017. He's from Slovenia. Um, so apparently the Latvian national team liked what they saw with him in, in Skonto, and they've decided to bring him back and their goal is to get into the next um, European Championship, which uh, would be quite an accomplishment because Latvia does not have the same storied football history as they do with basketball and especially hockey. Another quick story, so the International Olympic Committee, they will be discussing the Sweden-Latvia joint bid, which would have part of the Olympics, so the skeleton and the luge events happening in the Latvian town of Sigulda, which would be very, very exciting for Latvia. So um, we will get a final decision on that in June, but they are already discussing it now. Also, Kristaps Porzingis, who many of you know as a New York Knicks star, he was recently traded to the Dallas Mavericks, and he had his first official practice with the Dallas Mavericks. Now, this is significant because he had a horrible injury to his leg last year, and he is still recovering from that. He's still not expected to play this year, but he did have his first full practice, and he said that he was feeling great, which uh, the, the Dallas Mavericks must be feeling happy about. They are looking like they will not be making it into the playoffs this year, but they have a pretty good foundation, and they have a pretty good chance of getting to the playoffs next year, I think. So uh, we, we will see what happens. And then also, um, Dyrlis Bertans, who is the brother of Davis Bertans, who plays for San Antonio and Spurs, who will definitely be in the playoffs this year. Um, so, so he scored his first points for the New Orleans Pelicans. Again, they will not be in the playoffs this year, as they usually aren't, but, uh, you know, 
again, it's exciting that he's in the NBA. He was he just came over from Spain, so uh, you know that that's a pretty exciting thing that now we have uh, a significant Latvian presence in the National Basketball Association. So so uh, good good job, Latvia. And that just wrapped up our sports section. Now, Otto, what do you have for this week in Latvian history and this week in the future? I wish to remember uh, two birthdays of uh, famous uh, Yalgavians uh, who have made uh, their uh, name and Latvia's name known in their respective fields. Uh, first of them uh, being uh, the birthday of uh, Noor Bumbiere, who was born on uh, March 13, 1947, uh, who became one of the most popular and the definitive Latvian singers of pop music of all time, as her interpretations of many songs by Raimonds Pauls, such as About the Last Leaf, as well as Tirsu uh, Lietus by Zygmar Sliepinch and Dudevinč by Iman Skalnič, uh, became national and international hits in the 1970s and are among the favorites of not only my parents' generation, but also among the most enduring pop music in the Latvian language. Uh, the Nora Bumbier Foundation, established by her sister, built a monument to the artist by the Yalgov House of Culture, where Nora began her career in the late 60s and organizes annual concerts for uh, young singers, that we have quite a few. Uh, another birthday that I wish to remember is March 17, 1876, uh, when uh, Paul Schiemann, also a f- fellow Yelgavian, uh, who was one of the pillars of pre-war Latvian society and a leader of Latvian-German community, was born. A journalist by profession, uh, he was elected to the Constitutional Assembly in the 1920s and also to the first four terms of the Latvian Parliament. Although he rejected an offer to become the Prime Minister in 1927, and so he uh, therefore missed our article on the longest-serving Prime Ministers in Latvian history, three years later he became the Latvian representative at the League of Nations, the predecessor of the UN, and as the editor of Riga Rundschau, the largest Latvian German newspaper, he denounced national socialism among his fellow Germans in Germany and locally in the 1930s. And while under house arrest during the German occupation, he helped several Jews, including the notable film critic Valentin Freimane, to hide from the Nazis and survive the war. He died in 1944, yet deserves to be remembered as one of the brilliant Latvian profiles in courage. Uh, the nerdy history teacher in me, Otto, is so excited that you just name-dropped John F. Kennedy's book, Profiles and Courage. So for those of you who are unaware, so our uh, President John F. Kennedy, who was president from 1961 to 1963, he wrote this book, Profiles and Courage, which was a collection of essays about uh, d- different uh, famous historical figures and not-so-famous ones and, and how they made courageous decisions. So thank you, Otto, for, for name-dropping that. That made me very, very happy. Uh, but you also have something to mention for the week in the future, do you? Yeah, uh, exactly. Okay. Our future is even brighter. As the spring song this is approaching, uh, you are able to celebrate it in the traditional Latvian manner, either on the 20th of March at Arkadis Parks, uh, where together with Latvian folk groups and bands, uh, they will await the sunrise at 6 a.m. And uh, on the 23rd of uh, March uh, at uh, Leeu Square in the center of Old Town, they will uh, put up uh, uh, seesaws, uh, they will sing Latvian Easter songs, uh, do some egg rolling and dancing uh, according uh, to the uh, Latvian uh, uh, folkloric uh, tradition between 1 and 4 p.m. Uh, If you are a fan of pets, then uh, I have uh, great news for you, Uh, as on the 23rd of March, uh, a pet exposition is open at Tipsal Exhibition Hall, so you're able to go and see uh, a closer look on uh, various various breeds of uh, cats and dogs, and probably uh, choose an idea uh, for a, a pet of your own. 
And for uh, our fans of uh, performing arts, uh, it is also the time of the Baltic Ballet Festival, where one of the concerts will take place on the 20th of March at the Wef Palace of Culture. So a variety of choices for you uh, around our capital city. So although I said that this was going to be a slow news week, apparently we had quite a bit to talk about because we went well over our uh, 45 minutes that we usually do. So thank you for everybody who listened this week. And a big thank you for everyone who has been listening for all 20 episodes and for those of you who jumped in later than that. So we hope that uh, you will enjoy the next 20 as well. Uh, please tell your friends if you like the show. Please make sure to subscribe however you're listening, Apple Podcast or SoundCloud or CastBox or whatever way you're listening out there. We hope that uh, that you've enjoyed the show and we, and we hope that uh, it's been useful and that it will be uh, continue to be useful for you as well. And once again, a very happy St. Patrick's Day. I think it is officially time now for us to go have some Irish coffee and also for me to go call my Irish relatives and congratulate them as well on this day. So thank you, everyone. Visulapu un... Uh, how do we say Happy St. Patrick's Day in Latvian auto? I, I don't know that one, actually. Laimiga Sveta Patrick Diena. Ata, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Latvia Weekly. Visit us at www.latviaweekly.com and make sure to like us on Facebook for important news updates every day.